Today is Membership Sunday. It's one of the, the couple times a year that we get to do this. Um, a few years, not a few years, but in, in January, actually in January, I was uh, preaching a, a sermon and I mentioned how one of the, the fastest growing demographics in our congregation uh, here at Harvest were, were the meatheads. And after that uh, service was done, uh, for those of you who don't know, meathead is someone who works out so much that they've got meat all over and that meat has gone to their heads. Um, so a lot of times they're not very smart. Um, they just got meat up there. But our people, our meatheads are very smart. Uh, after I, I, I mentioned that that's the fastest growing demographic, uh, one newcomer said, I knew that day that this was a church for me. <laughs> There's something interesting and fascinating about meatheads, aren't there? Isn't there something just interesting about that? They, in, they interest me in large part because that is the opposite of who I am. I'm not a meathead. I barely... I've barely, maybe for like a couple weeks, I've worked out in my life. Um, I don't understand it. I don't understand all the, the intricacies and the things that they talk about and the way they, they, they eat. And so they really are a weird and interesting brand to me. And so I wanted to kind of pick their brains. And they do have brains, by the way. I wanted to pick their brains. So I asked nine of the biggest, largest meatheads in Harvest, if I could just kind of have a moment and, and hear from you about what it is when you guys build your bodies. Tell me what goes on, right? Why do you do it? Um, is it hard? Do you like it? And uh, nine of these meatheads, um, we, we talked about this, very interesting. Uh, actually, it's, not, it's eight of them, and one of them is kind of a, a novice apprentice meathead who's wanting to get into that place maybe. Um, but I asked them all kinds of questions. And the first question I asked, um, how many times do you work out? Right? Every week, how many times you work out? Um, the least experienced meathead said one or two times a week, haha. Um, but this person confessed, I haven't made this part of my lifestyle yet. So of the other eight, okay, of the other eight meatheads, three of them said they work out three times a week. Okay? Uh, two of them said they work out four times a week. One said six times a week. And two said they work out every day of the week. Right? That's crazy meat right there. Uh, so I, I, I also asked them, hey, why do you work out? Right? And they talked about things like we do it for our health, both now as well as in the future. It's going to be a lot better for us. It's going to be good for us when we get to the future. Uh, they talked about things like uh, losing weight or camaraderie, accountability, stress relief, discipline. One person said to have glistening muscles, <laughs> but looking good <laughs> physically was on almost everybody's list. This is what one person said. One person wrote about an unforgettable experience that still motivates uh, him or her. And this is what they said. When I was younger, I had finished exercising and I was wiping off my sweat while I was sitting. One of my friends then proceeded to call me stairway to heaven because of the rolls I had on my stomach. Okay, that one comment officially scarred me and led me to become the gym rat I am today. I feel uncomfortable when my pants or shirts begin to get too tight Ultimately, I want to look good and have a nice body because of those comments. A lot of things that motivate us, isn't there? A lot of things that motivate. So when I ask them, okay, you do that, you do that all these days of the week, but do you like it? You really enjoy working out. Nine people, all of them, not a single person said they do not like it. This is what they said. Um, despite the soreness that ensues after working out, I still find myself enjoying it. Another one said yes. I enjoy it very much. Some days I don't feel like working out, but once the workout is finished, I feel energized and feel refreshed. Another one said, well, another one said, I hate it and I love it. I love that afterwards you have a sense of accomplishment 
and you know that you've invested into something that's worth it. Uh, one guy said simply, yeah, I love working out. <laughs> uh, I love working out now, but before it wasn't as fun. Uh, yeah, I think I like it a little too much. Uh, one guy said, I just love it. I love going to gym and lifting weights. <laughs> That's the leader of the meathead group right there. Um, another one said, yes, well, maybe not in the middle of it. Here's another one. I hate the thought of working out until the very moment I get to the gym, but once I've worked out, I feel great. When I'm done working out, when my muscles are all tense and worn out, out of breath and sweaty, I feel good. Physically, so tired and drained, but something feels very good. There's something enticing about what they say. There's something motivating about what they say. After I, I was uh, hearing all of these things, I said to Olive, I said, Olive, you know what? I think I'm going to start working out. And she said, yeah, and I think I just saw a UFO. <laughs> just kidding. She didn't say that. So I think I just saw Bigfoot. But all that to say there's something in exciting about the way that they talk about working out. There's a, there's a joy, there's an excitement, there's an enthusiasm about that. And it leads me to ask, what if we were passionate about building the body of another with that kind of a love? And what if we were that passionate and that excited and that joyful about building the body of somebody else? Who is that person? The Bible tells us that the church is the body of Christ. What if? We, all of us, could be that excited and that passionate about building the body of Christ. I do it once or twice a week, but I want to do it more. I do it seven days a week, and it's still not enough. I want to build the body of Christ. Today, my hope and my aim, my longing, my desire, is that at the end of today, that we would have a greater desire to work out and to build the body of Christ. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 4 through 16. I'm going to be a little bit shorter than I typically am so that I can give some time to those sharing their testimonies. But I want to talk about how we are looking for, Jesus is looking for builders of his body. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to read verses 4 through 16. This is God's word through the pen of the Apostle Paul. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean? except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows 
and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is God's word. So Paul is saying that the church, hey, that this local expression called harvest, this church is the body of Christ. And we build that body in different ways, but one of the main ways that we build this body is by serving the church. There are some who serve the church. Okay? There are others who don't serve the church. There are some who serve the church joyfully, enthusiastically, sacrificially. There are some who serve the church begrudgingly and unwillingly and with a twisted arm. So what's the difference? What, what is the difference? How can we serve the church? How can we build the body in a way that is full of life and enthusiasm? What does the Bible tell us here? The Bible tells us that there are lots of parallels between the understanding of working out our physical muscles and working out the body of Christ and building the body. What do we see here? The first thing we see here is that bodybuilding is hard. Bodybuilding is hard, but it is a privilege. Bodybuilding is hard, but it's a privilege. Uh, a few weeks ago, one of our Korean congregation's deacons, I was, I was having a conversation with him. He said, David Moksanim, that means Pastor David. He said, David Moksanim, where do you work out? I think he could tell I worked out. But he said, where do you work out? I don't work out. He couldn't tell. He, he's he's kind of hinting at me. He said, where do you work out? Where do you go? The YMCA, La Fitness, where do you work out? <laughs> and I said, I, I don't work out because it costs a lot of money. <laughs> to work out. And I was telling him that I think it is a privilege to be able to go to La Fitness or YMCA or wherever it is. It's a privilege that some people are willing to pay for, but it's not a privilege that I'm willing to pay for because it doesn't mean that much to me. But it, it confounds me as one who doesn't work out that people would pay to rip their muscles, to lift weights, to grunt, to do all of these things and, and to get all sweaty. And though they'll have glistening muscles at the end of the day, to me, it, it, it blows my mind that people would exert and, and, and put so much strain on their bodies, not only to do that, but to, to, to willingly pay money in order that that might happen. Why do they do it? Because these guys and gals feel like it's a privilege to be able to work out. It is a privilege to be able to shape my body. In fact, one, one person that um, I was talking to, this is what they said. They said, my enjoyment comes from being able to actually do something with my body as there was a time when I could barely walk and let alone work out. During those times, I dreamed of being able to have a healthy body capable of lifting weights or running or any type of exercise, anything that didn't involve being in bed at a hospital, or at the doctor's office. This person considered it to be a high privilege to be able to work out something that they would willingly pay money to do. He realized that even though it's hard, it's a privilege. If you look in the Bible, this is what Paul says also. He says, but to, verse 7, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. He's not saying each one of us in the world. He's saying each one of us in the church. To each one of us in the church, God's grace has been given just as he saw fit to give it to you. This is why it says when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. 
If you jump down in verse 11, it says, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists. He's saying, look, this is the grace of God that in your life, if you are a child of God, if you're part of the church, that you have been given grace to do something by which you can build the body. Hey, not everybody has that, right? People outside of the body of Christ, he's saying they don't have this grace. They don't have these gifts. They don't have the opportunity, the ability to do this. What he's saying is, yeah, it's hard, but it is a privilege if you could see the privilege that it is. You see, Paul would be the first one to acknowledge that it was hard. He was, uh, for, for the sake of serving the church, he was shipwrecked. He was constantly in danger in land, in sea. He was on the run from, from, from fellow countrymen, from bandits, from friends who had abandoned him. All these people were chasing him down. It was difficult, but he of all people considered it to be a privilege unlike anything else that he gets to serve the body of Christ. Do you see it as a privilege that you get to, first of all, that you have, you, you know what it is to be a child of God so that you know what it is to be part of the body, but that from there you get to serve the church. Not everybody can do that. That's what Paul is making clear. Not everybody can serve the church, but if you're in the church, then you can. I think this is the attitude. This is the mentality that we need to embrace. It's an attitude that says, I don't, I don't have to do that. The attitude is, I get to do that. We talk about that here sometimes, don't we? This, this, this mentality that says, hey, you know what? Hey, can you do this for the church? And someone says, hey, you know what? I heard you're doing that. And he's like, yeah, I have to do that every week. That's not the mentality that the Bible talks about, right? that I have to do this. It's I get to do this for the sake of the kingdom. I get to do this. I get to teach our students. I get to come and pray. I get to, to cook food. I get to serve house church. That's the attitude that's being presented in the Bible here. That this is a privilege to be able to serve God in this way. When we go to the Dominican Republic, the missionary that we work with, one of the, he's a, a pastor named Reverend Choi. And people talk about Reverend Choi. He has very, almost like uh, Zen master-like influence over people. He says to do something and people will all do it. It's almost like, you know, it's almost like a godfather type. He speaks and everybody just moves into action. It is not because the force of his personality I don't think that's what it is. I think it's because people who know him understand that he sees the privilege of being able to serve the church as a privilege bestowed upon the people of God. And so when he asks people to do it, they understand that he's asking in order that I might be blessed. See, a couple years back in the DR, there was a few churches that were there. And there was one church that was there from up north. And that pastor had preached a couple times. There's always opportunities. There's morning prayer. There's night services. There's different gatherings where uh, that missionary says, can you pastor preach at these services? And people will do it. And so he asked this one pastor from up north, hey, will you preach tonight or tomorrow night at this worship service? And the pastor looked at him. I don't know if he looked at him, but he said to him, oh, you know what? Um, I only brought two sermons down here, and I've used all of them, so I can't do it. And Reverend Choi looked at him, and he just went off on, this, on this, this diatribe, and he said, you know what? When I was younger, as a young pastor, anytime anybody asked me to do anything for the kingdom of God, to do anything for the church, to preach, to share my testimony, to make food, to straighten chairs, to fold bulletins, to take out trash, anytime anyone asked me to do anything for God, 
Even if I didn't like doing that, I would always bow my head and I would say, yes, it is my privilege to be able to serve God in this way. Do you see that it's a privilege to serve God? No one's twisting your arm to do that. I, you know, I, used, to, I used to do this. When we needed people to, to volunteer for something, I used to come to people and I'd say, hey, you know what, uh, Sarah, can you help out with taking out the trash? And she would say, no, you know what, I'm not very good at taking out the trash. I'd say, okay, hey, Suman, would you take out the trash? No, you know what, I, I don't, my hands are really sensitive and I can't get trash bags on my hands. Hey, Lynette, will you take out the trash? No, I can't take out the trash because it's just really difficult and I've got to get my daughter home. And, and I'd be like, dude, we need someone to take out the trash. So I'd ask Sarah again, hey, Sarah, you sure you don't want to take out the trash? And I would do whatever I could to, to even, hey, you know what? If you don't take out the trash, church is going to smell and no one's going to come. And then she finally she's, okay, I'll do it. But after a while, I'd say it's, it's, it's recently that I've begun to realize that I don't think it's my job to force people into a privilege that great, being able to serve God Almighty. Like God is waiting around saying, oh my gosh, if no one takes out the trash, oh, what's going to happen? He's like stressing out over it. The reality is that when we serve God, we get the blessing. When we serve God, we get the blessing. That's why God gives us opportunities. It's not like in a snap of a finger, he couldn't get rid of these things. It's not like he can't pick someone up from off the street and move them here and and have them do it. God is able to do that. But I've begun to realize, I'm going to ask one time, I might ask twice, but I'm not going to ask beyond that because I'm not going to force anyone. I'm not going to twist anybody's arm in order to ask them to do something that the Bible says is a privilege. We don't have to do any of this stuff. We get to do it. We don't have to come early to church to set up, to make bulletins, to serve on praise team, to come over. You don't have to do any of that stuff. I don't have to preach. People say sometimes to me when, I'm, when I've had a, 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 a week or I'm traveling, I get in Saturday night. They say, you still have to preach? I say, no, I don't have to preach. But I'm going to because I get to, because I want to, because this is my joy and this is my privilege. We get to do these things for God. We get to do it. We get to serve God. It's hard, but it's a privilege. It's the first thing that we see here. The second thing that we see here, not only is bodybuilding hard, but it's a privilege. Bodybuilding involves every part of the body. Look at what it says. In verse 10, it says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. To do what? To prepare God's people, not just some of God's people, but God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. He's saying God gave some people the role of leading with their voices in order to prepare the rest of the church in order that they might do the work. If you ask any of these people who are building their own bodies, working out, they'll tell you that why do they work out so much? It's not that every day they're working out their arms or their chest or their shoulders. That They, they have to alternate. Some days they do their arms, other days they do their legs. There's this uh, picture going around on the internet that says, friends, don't let friends skip leg day. What that means is if you're a good friend, you won't let your friend not work out their legs. And there's this picture of this massive guy. He's got a huge chest, massive neck, deltoids, trapezoids, all this. He's massive, and then he's got these like chicken legs, like chopsticks. That's weird. That's not right. Because if you really want to be a bodybuilder, every part of the body 
has to be involved. And the same thing is true with building the body of Christ. In a healthy body, it's not just one or two things that are working. You know, a healthy person, a healthy person versus a sick person. A healthy person has all of their organs working. Everything is working well in unison, in cohesion. Everything is healthy. In an unhealthy body, it's just one or two things that are working. The same thing is true with the body of Christ. In a healthy body, every part is working because they realize that it's a blessing, it's a privilege to serve. Every part is working, involved in some way, whatever it means, whatever it takes, whatever I need to do in order to serve, then I want to do that. You know, there's some people that just, wherever they go, they're constantly wanting to serve. You know, people like this, this week I um, met with Sister Carmen and, and, and Corey. Carmen is, she's retired, but from the first day she came to our church in, in January, I think in January, she said, Pastor, whatever I can do to help the church, to serve the church, I am available seven days a week. So after we'd had about an hour-long conversation, uh, it was an hour before prayer meeting, she said, hey, is there anything I can do for you right now? Is there anything I can do? I can, if there's anything to clean, I can vacuum, I can file papers, whatever you need me to do. She said, when the building project starts, they start doing construction. When these construction workers come, I can make lunch for them. Whatever you want me to do, I want to do because it is my privilege and my joy. You know, people like that, how do they get this desire to serve that way? Did you know that serving is an acquired taste? So when you're younger, when I was younger, my favorite foods were like hot dogs and pizza and cheeseburgers. As I get older, these are still my favorite foods, but I've also graduated to liking other foods that I didn't like when I was younger. I've acquired the taste for things like um, (laughs) sushi. I've acquired the taste for... I can eat lettuce and tomatoes. I can eat pickles, things I didn't like before. I can even eat on occasion asparagus if it's cooked well. I've acquired the taste for certain things as my palate has matured. When we're young believers, we don't want to serve because we're always looking for what we can receive. But as we mature, we look for ways that we can serve. And it's interesting to me and probably recognizable to you how the people who are busiest in the church are the ones who are constantly serving in new ministries also. Why? It's not because no one else does. It's not because they can't say no. Because they've acquired a taste for serving, and they want to keep on doing it because they know the blessing and the joy and the benefits of doing it. That's why the busiest people in our church are our teachers, are our house church shepherds. They're busy leading their house churches, but all of them are involved in other ministries as well because they've fallen in love with what it is to serve the Lord God. I remember there was a time when uh, Eugene, Kwok, James Ye, uh, some of us were were sitting there talking, and they they said to me one time, they said, there is nothing that we would not do for Jesus and for our church that these are people who are building the body 
And we need more people like this, people who say whatever it takes. And you guys know that, that James has one of the best wing restaurants in, in all of Orlando, and, and people are pressuring. I mean, literally, people say, can you open this, a restaurant like this in the Dominican Republic? Can you open this at UCF? Can you open this again? People are telling him, open this restaurant everywhere. And one of the things that he said recently I know there's a lot of different reasons, but he said, if I were to open up another restaurant, I wouldn't be able to give as much to the church as I'm giving right now. And that's one who wants to build the body of Christ. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Yeah, I could have a lot more money. Yeah, I'll be a little bit busier. Yeah, people will, will know the brand wings of wherever it is, but I want to build the body. And at this particular season in life, that's what God has called him to do. I remember years back, we were on an outreach trip in, in Tampa. About 30 of us were there, and, and it, it was, we were uh, renting space from a church out there in Tampa. And there was a lot of stuff that needed to be done in order to, to get ready to clean up, to prepare food. So I asked for volunteers, hey, volunteers to stack chairs, volunteers to, to make lemonade, volunteers to make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And everyone would do it, especially if there was someone of the opposite gender that would raise their hand first. So they're all going upstairs to do that stuff. I said, is it can't get a volunteer to clean the bathroom? And it was as silent as this. Except no one was looking at me because no one wanted to make eye contact lest they thought I thought they were volunteering by looking at me. Everybody was just kind of looking down. The way the bathrooms were, the guys' bathroom in particular, there was, I don't know how many guys, there were 20 guys and there were 20 big guys. 20 big guys mean 20 big guys need lots of food. Lots of food means lots of digestion. Lots of digestion means that it's big trouble when there's only one toilet. Anyone want to clean the bathroom? All of a sudden, nobody looked at me. The day went along, went in to use a restroom, and I saw Brother Hong in there on his hands and knees, scrubbing down the toilet, wiping the floors, just doing the dirty work, just whatever it takes. And probably, I don't know what his attitude was, maybe he was singing a song saying, God, help me to see this as a blessing, that I get to serve the church. But because he was willing to do that, God opened up more opportunities, more territory, more, more, uh, more yeah, just opportunities for him to be a blessing to other people. And some of you are saying, I don't know how to serve. I don't know what my calling is. Here's a good start. Start with what the Bible commands you to do. If you're trying to find your way to your calling, start with what's commanded. Okay, do the little things. Do whatever it takes. Just do something. Do something. You see trash on the floor, pick that up. That's nobody's. That's not a ministry team. Just pick that up and do it. Pray for your church. Pray for your leaders. Pray for the people around you. Even if it's not something, Charles Spurgeon said, even if you can't preach at St. Peter's Cathedral, you can talk to one or two people. He said, uh, the smallest pigeon can carry the greatest message. Says, if you can't cook in great pots, you can cook in small pots too. Says, even the smallest dog can bark when an intruder comes in, waking up the master so that the entire house can be saved. What a powerful picture. The smallest dog can bark so that the master of the house can wake up in order that the entire house can be saved. You can bark the message of Jesus, can't you? Of what he's done in your life. You may not be able to do anything else, but you can talk about what Jesus has done. 
Whatever you can do, just do that. Just do that. Pray and leave the results up to God. And as God takes these things, he will use you to do greater things. And there's joy, there's blessing as you find how you can serve the church. Second thing, last thing then. Last thing that we see here, we're going to see this in in, in different verses here. Bodybuilding is worth it because we see the end. Bodybuilding is worth it because we see the end. Again, every single one of our people, as they shared their motivation for why they work out, said it's because they saw something of what was to come that that drives them to work out. I enjoy it because of how it makes me feel afterwards. I love that afterwards you have a sense of accomplishment and you know that you've invested into something that's worth it. What drives me is a goal that's set before me, health and well-being that spills out into all aspects of life. Another guy said, I have a goal in mind and I want to see how far I can get. At the end of the day, I think seeing hard work pay off is always worth the effort. Setting a goal, trying to reach that gives some purpose. I like it because I like to see how far I can push my body, set records for myself, whether it's being able to lift a certain amount, look a certain way. Another person said, ultimately, it all comes down to creating a better physique. Working out is hard and painful. It's almost impossible to go through the pain without having any right kind of motivation. But when I do it, I know that I can bear the pain because I have greater results in the end. Working out to me is fascinating. You get to change your body however you want by sculpting it. It's like that feeling of accomplishing something great for yourself in the end of the day. If I succeed, I can have a great-looking body that's healthy and fit and attractive. When I'm done working out, when my muscles are tense, worn out, out of breath and sweaty, I feel good, physically drained, but something feels just very good. I've accomplished something. I'm one workout closer to achieving my dream, and I feel healthier. Working out, yeah, it helps me get into shape and healthy, makes me look more attractive, gives me better appetite for food, gives me more energy and strength throughout the day, and helps relieve built-up stress. All of these guys are saying the same thing. The only way they can do it, the only way they can do it is because they're seeing the end in mind, because they have a picture of the end. You've heard me, maybe you've heard me talk about how the one time I did um, beach, beach Body Insanity, it's kind of one of those workout crazes that kind of, soared like a comet and then it fizzled out in light of other workout programs. But Beach Body Insanity, one time we were doing missions training about three, two, three years back. And during physical training, one of the guy that I had asked to lead physical training said, we're going to do insanity today. Insanity, that's what he said. We're going to do insanity. So he played it up on the screen in the Kingdom Keepers room, Pastor Albert did. And, and as we're watching Insanity... I needed to be a good leader, and so I wanted to be up in the front working out, doing all this stuff. The problem is you can't follow Sean T. doing insanity publicly if you haven't been doing this privately. I'm like all out of shape. My cardio is like that of a 90-year-old man, and I'm like sucking wind trying to do all this stuff. Within five minutes, and I was, my hands were on my knees. I was breathing heavy. Within 10 minutes, I was laying on the ground. 15 minutes, I was seeing stars. Like, I I understood why when cartoons have people getting beat up that they start seeing stars. I was seeing stars, and they were singing to me. It was crazy. I was like, oh, this is what it feels like. And I said, this is utterly insane. It is insanity. 
And I said to myself, I asked myself, why in the world would anybody do this? Literally, this is crazy. And then I reminded myself, the reason it's insanity is because I'm only seeing half of the picture. The real picture, the full picture, is this is beach body insanity. The reason why people go through the insanity is so that they can get a beach body. I wasn't looking for a beach body. I was just looking to make it through training to be an example. I failed, and so to me, it was all insane. You know what, guys? Sometimes it seems like building the church, serving the church, Sometimes it seems like it's insanity. Why would I give up my summer? You serious? Why would I give up my summer? Why would I give up my Sundays? I'm at church from 8.30 in the morning until 5 at night. Are you serious? Why would I give up my Saturday? Why would I give up my Sunday? Why would I give up my mornings to come and pray? Why would I give up my time Why would I give up my talents? Why would I give up my energy? Maybe you look at people in your church that are doing this and say, how can they do that? Why would they do that? Why are they always doing that? Why are they always taking it? Don't they have a life? Don't they have a life? It's insane. What are they doing? The reason why they do it is because they see the end in mind. Because they see a vision of something that God is doing in this body that they don't see, that we don't see right now. Here's what they see. That the body of Christ might be built up, verse 12, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of of Christ. This is what they see. They see a longing for unity in the faith where the least mature of people is brought to a point where they could be mature, where they could serve, they could give their lives away, where they would not consider it insanity to give their lives away for the sake of the church. That's what we see. We see a church that's being built up, that's going to make it, that is making a difference in this world. We see a church where lives are being changed, where testimonies are being formed, where testimonies are being forged, where lives are being transformed for the glory of God, where lost people are coming into the saving knowledge of Jesus. They're growing, they're being discipled, they're saying, my life is not the same. That's what we see. And that's why we give our lives away. It's seeing more leaders being raised up. It's seeing bridges being built. It's seeing a light shining brightly in the community so that hell would be depopulated, so that people will know what Jesus means when he says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That's what we see. Because we see that there's nothing like the church in all of the world. There's no organization, no institution, no system like the church. Everything else in the world is going to fade away, but the kingdom of God, the Bible tells us that the church is the one thing that is eternal. Our nations, our politics, our governments, our libraries, our schools, all of these things are going to fade away, but the church is forever. And what we're praying and what we're living for, what we're fighting for is that the beauty, the glory, the honor of his name would be the passion of the church, that nothing else will matter. 
The reason we do these things is not for the name of a church. It's not for the name of a house church. It's not for the name of a leader, a pastor, a shepherd, a teacher. It's not for that. It's that the name of Jesus would be exalted. And because of that, because of that, we say we're willing to give our lives and everything that we are because God is working in us. And this dream that we have, this dream that we have that our members are committing themselves to, that members have already committed to, this dream is so much bigger than what happens in here. This dream is as big as the world. And we want to change the world, and it's happening. Every time we hear a report of lives being changed in, in, in Hiroshima, Japan, that's the work of God through your church. Every time we hear of lives being saved, going from Buddhism to Christianity in Myanmar, that's the work of your church. Every time you see a, a different person being baptized, we heard this morning in Thailand, someone coming, two people coming to saving knowledge of Jesus, that's the work of the church. And this dream is as big as the world, and it started with one person, started with one person who went and he gave his life. And people said, you're insane. His own family said he's insane. But how far was he willing to go? And he gave his life for this dream. He gave his life for this dream. Because his dream is not some amorphous, ambiguous, vague idea. His dream is you and it's me and it's the people of the world that he so loved that he gave his life so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have life eternal. That's what I live for. That's, what you, that's, what we live, that's why we exist. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, even when we think it's not all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And he says, now it's time for the church to shine the bride that he saw in his heart, that he offered up his life. The dream that starts with one is as big as the world, but he's calling us to join. We pray that we join together and make his dreams come true. Let's pray. Let's uh, just take a moment to pray and just ask the Lord God that he would help us to be a bodybuilder for his kingdom. The Lord Jesus, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, <clears throat> whatever it takes, God, in order that your church might be built, in order that lives might be changed through us, through our youth ministry, through our house churches, through our missionaries, through our building bridges, whatever it takes, God, help us to do that. Help me to do that. Help me to give myself to you in that way. Let's pray together just for a minute. Say, Lord God, I'm part of the body. Help me. Set me loose to go and do the work that you've called me to do. Let's pray together and then I'll pray for us. Father, as we live in this great city of Orlando, we see all around <clears throat> opportunities to make a wish come true, to give kids the world, to 
to see the dreams of somebody become realized to the point where people would be willing to go to great lengths to bring kids to Disney World for the one time in their life to get kids to spend a day with an athlete for one day to let a girl dress up as a princess just for one day so that their dream might become reality Jesus you too have a dream you dreamed that we would be your brother would be your sister you dreamed a dream that <clears throat> caused you to go to the cross to pay for our ransom in order that we might be brought into the family of God and along the way some one wanted to make your dream come true and they brought the message of hope to us we have been graced and yet your dream doesn't end with us it continues with many many people throughout the world who you want to be brought into the family of God please don't let the vision end with us please don't let the dreams die reawaken them rekindle them that we would give everything we are for your kingdom's cause move within us work within us bless us teach us mold us change us in order that we might be the people that you want us to be we thank you so much we love you because you've loved us first we serve you because you've served us first we thank you lord we pray all these things in jesus name